We're drawing to the end of our study of Romans, and Paul is getting into some matters that are specific to the Roman church. Particularly, uh, there was lots of disagreements, different opinions about how the Christian life should be lived out. And this was causing probably some dissension in the church. And Paul is addressing this along in this section where he's talking about what it means to be a Christian, to to love God and and to love others, even our, our enemies. And here is a concrete example of how we are to love one another in the church, particularly those with whom we have disagreement on matters that are not gospel matters. But let us read God's word, beginning in Romans 14, 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today. Well, jargon. A jargon is defined as special words or expressions that are used by a particular profession or group and are difficult for others to understand. Jargon. Within any profession, you will find technical words that are unique to that profession. You just think about the Latin terms that doctors use or lawyers use. They're, they're meaningless to people like myself, lay people, who aren't versed in all the technical language of medicine and law. My brother is suffering from lung cancer, and I got some good news this week from him. He called and said that he had been out to MD Anderson. And apparently, what he told me was that he has lung cancer with anaplastic lymphoma kinase gene rearrangement. And I guess they found this out by doing what they call a fish test, fluorescence in situ hybridization. I have no idea what I just said. I don't understand that jargon. But what it means is that he will not have to do chemotherapy. He's cancer-free, and he'll take a drug called an ALK inhibitor, and that will keep his genes from rearranging in the wrong way. So jargon is sometimes very difficult to understand. Well, Christianity has its own jargon, its own special terms that we use that people often don't properly understand. And sometimes even believers don't fully understand the terms we use. For example, say the most important Christian term for us to understand is the term gospel, a word that we use all the time. Many people use the term gospel like I use the word chemotherapy. You know, I can talk about chemotherapy. I have a, a vague notion of what chemotherapy is, but I don't have the technical knowledge to be able to explain exactly what chemotherapy is. I don't have a degree in pharmacology. I don't understand the human body fully and completely to know just exactly what it is. I always understand it as poison that's supposed to kill the cancer in you. That's about as far as my knowledge goes. But I can throw the term around like I know what it means generally, but I don't fully understand it. Sometimes people are that way with the term gospel. 
use the term, we throw it around, but do we fully grasp what the term gospel means? If I were to ask you right now, stand up and tell us what is the gospel? Could you do that? Do you understand the gospel? Well, the gospel is good news. It comes from the Greek word that means good news. It's the good news. It's what has happened. It's news. Thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection did something for sinful people such as we are, there's good news. And good news must be responded to. You know, we hear good news. Somebody said, for example, good news I've got. The casinos have decided to give you back all the money that you lost there. That would be good news for some of you. Some of you it wouldn't matter because you don't go to the casinos. But some would be quite happy and would respond to that good news. You'd probably go down there and want to claim your check. See, the good news, when you hear good news, you must respond to it. And the same is true of the gospel, this good news. Jesus did something in time and space. How do you respond to that? His life, his death and resurrection makes it possible for us to be freed from the guilt of sin. We can be forgiven. Freed from the power of sin. We're no longer under its bondage. And one day be freed from the very presence of sin in the new heavens and new earth. It's good news what Jesus has come to do for us that we couldn't do ourselves. We must respond to that. We must say, I want to be freed from my sin. You have to recognize that you're a sinner. I want to be freed from the guilt of it. I want to one day be freed from the presence of it. And I want Jesus in my life. That's called repentance and faith. That's the response that we're looking for. So the gospel is important news that we must respond to. Eternal salvation depends on it. There's nothing more important than that. But also, as important for us in the now is the fact that the gospel has an impact on the way that we live. We see that borne out in this passage. Paul is dealing with a very specific case, some very specific problems within the church. But you see what he's talking about here when he tells them what they should do about the problem that they're having, he undergirds it with the gospel. See, some people think, well, once you got the gospel, you move on to different spiritual things, different lessons. But I would say and challenge that, say you never move past the gospel. You never move past applying the gospel to every situation in life, letting it motivate you, letting it transform you as you consider what Jesus did and how should I respond to it in every situation. What is what what Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection? How does that make a difference in how I respond, how I treat temptation, how I treat my enemy, how I treat the government? We've talked about those things, and Paul has talked about them in Romans as well. Well, we see the case before us in this passage in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And the word here, opinions, is important. And and it refers to different ideas about what's appropriate for Christians to eat, to drink, and should Christians celebrate certain days over other days. Now, 
these were opinions. They weren't gospel issues. They, they weren't issues that, that made your eternal salvation uh, go one way or the other, whether you ate this or refrained from eating that or drank this and refrained from drinking that or celebrated this day or not celebrating that day. Sometimes people do say that those things matter. They say, well, if you participate in eating this or drinking that or not celebrating this day, then you're not a believer. And to those people, Paul has the harshest condemnation. You see that in the book of Colossians. You see that in his letter to the Galatians. Those people were trying to say, here's an additional thing you need to do in order to be saved. This is not what Paul's talking about here in Romans. These are matters where people are showing their devotion to the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. And they feel in their heart that in order to serve the Lord in a particular uh, way, they need to either refrain from drinking or eating something, and they need to celebrate a certain day. Or maybe they feel the opposite, that they... It doesn't matter what they eat or drink or what days they celebrate. See, these were opinions about things. They all believed the gospel. They all understood that they were saved by Christ. They just had different ideas of how that looked in the day-to-day living it out. So they were opinions that people had. And he tells them, just to sum it up, not to quarrel about these non-important issues Don't be judgmental towards one another about them if you disagree with your brother or sister about it. And don't cause someone else to stumble by what you permit. Don't don't force them into a situation where they are participating in something that they don't feel good about in their conscience. Don't cause them to stumble. And verse 5 sums up what he wants. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul is under any illusions that everybody's going to 100% agree on everything. But he's trying to help us to live in harmony with one another as should be in the body of Christ. Well, When Paul gives these instructions, what I want you to see here today is that he continuously motivates them to do these things, to live in harmony with one another, to not be judgmental, don't cause another to stumble. Why? Because of the gospel. He keeps going back to the gospel. He keeps using the gospel on them. Keep remembering the gospel and that will help you treat your brother and sister in Christ correctly. Now, this is not limited to this case, this understanding that the gospel changes the way you live. It it touches everything in your life as a Christian. Every case that comes your way, when you have to make a decision on how to live, you should take yourself back to the gospel. In light of what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection for me, how should I live? How should I treat that person? What decisions should I make here? See, the gospel motivates and propels us into the Christian life. Paul knew this, and that's what he does, and I want to demonstrate that to you. Look what he says here. He says three things, basically. 
about the gospel, the, the truths of the gospel, that helps them get a grip on how they should treat one another when they have a difference of opinion. First of all, believers are welcomed by God. He begins there and ends there. You see it in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. God has extended fellowship to him. Your brother, your sister in Christ, and you have all been welcomed by God. Isn't that a wonderful word to be welcomed? To feel like you belong? To feel like you're a part of the group? God has done that for sinners such as we are. That's good news, the gospel. And see, Paul is saying, you shouldn't look at your brother or sister and push them out to ex and exclude them because then you'd be acting like you're more holy than God because God has welcomed them in. They're God's child, God's part of God's family. And if God has welcomed them, then you should welcome them as well. If God has welcomed you, then they should welcome you as well. Believers are welcomed by God, and he comes back to this idea at the end of chapter or the end of the section we read in 15:7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. To welcome one another, to invite them in. The word means to, to bring alongside, to bring a person alongside. So it talks about fellowship and welcoming in, bringing a person to be part of the group. As we think about living the Christian life beyond just the disagreements we have, you know, think about how we live in the world. We are people who have been welcomed by God. We are part of God's family. And that makes an impact on how you live. If I am in God's family, if he has gone to the trouble of welcoming me in, that ought to have an impact on the way I live my life every day. I ought to bear the family resemblance if I'm a part of his family. Uh, that, that, that should make me want to avoid sin since part of becoming a part of his family is that I've been forgiven my sin and freed from the power of sin. And, and my destiny is that one day I will be freed from the very presence of sin because of what Christ has done for me and brought me in. See, the gospel motivates us to live the Christian life. How do we treat our enemies? Well, we've been welcomed by God, and we have the approval of the, the greatest being in the universe, the creator of all things. And if we have his welcome, if there's some human being who doesn't like us, that's no big deal. We can still love them. We can love them in spite of that, because we have God's approval. Well, secondly, we see Paul pointing them to the gospel by remi reminding them that believers belong to the Lord. Look at 14, 8 through 12. He, he is talking about the differences of, of opinions and that, that all these people in their differences are trying to live for the Lord, you know, whether they abstain or participate in certain things. Their, their, their goal is to live for the Lord. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Christians were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, and we belong to the Lord. He's purchased us. We are His. He's the Master. And Paul says that. You know, you don't uh, judge a slave or criticize a slave. Uh, you're not the master of that slave. He has to answer to his master. That's the true of our relationship with the Lord. We belong to Him. And He has made it to where we are not going to be under judgment. He's borne that judgment on the cross Himself for us. So we are freed from condemnation because of what Christ has done. And he's able to make us stand, it says here. So as we think about disagreements that we have with one another, and there are disagreements when we're trying to both follow the Lord, we need to let that person follow the Lord as they see fit. And they will one day answer to the Lord on how they did that, and we will do too as well. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. We belong to him, and we need to make sure that we're living for the Lord. See, the gospel makes a difference in how we treat one another as we remember that we belong to him. That extends on out into the daily living of the Christian life. Anything that you consider doing, you should remind yourself, you know, I belong to the Lord. I'm his servant. I'm not here to be God myself. I'm not here to, to be the master of my own life. God's the master of my life. He's the one that tells me what to do. He's the one that calls the shots. And I'll be happiest because he's such a benevolent master, a loving heavenly father, that he has my best interest at heart. He's telling me to do the things that are a blessing to me. So if I would just listen to him and do what he wills, I will be blessed. Believers belong to the Lord. And then thirdly, we see here, believers are valued by Christ. And that's important to remember when we have disagreements, that that person with whom you disagree is valued by Christ. We see it in verse 14 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love, but by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. It's hard to hate someone when you remember that Christ died for that person. Christ valued that person so much that he laid down his life for that person. That's true of you as well, if you are a believer. Christ died for you. He valued you. And how can you undervalue someone when Christ, the Son of God, values this person so much that they died for them? Romans 15.3 as well. It reminds us of the gospel again. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. See, Christ came into the world not to please himself, but what? To do something for us. For, to do something for sinners. The reproach that we deserve fell on Christ. He didn't please himself on our behalf. He laid down his life on our behalf. So it's not up to us to just please ourselves. It's not up to us to please anybody but him. And when we think about the other person, 
with whom we disagree, when you think about the Lord didn't please himself but sacrificed for that person, we see the value that Christ places on that person. And it changes our attitude. See, we're transformed by the gospel. Now, again, it extends to all walks of life, all cases in which we find ourselves at a crossroads or a decision on how we should follow the Lord. If we just turn back to the gospel, if we just turn back to this good news of who Christ is and what he's done for us and the implications of all that, then it will transform us. It will help us see the way in our lives of how we should live, how we should treat one another, and how we should, uh, how the gospel should bear on every situation in our lives. Now this morning we're coming to the Lord's Supper, to the Lord's Table. And again, the Lord's Table is a, a physical reminder of the gospel. He's telling us to do this in remembrance of me, Christ. And what did Christ do? He lived. He died. He rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven, freed from the guilt of sin, freed from the power of sin, and freed from the presence of sin. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we are welcomed into fellowship with Christ, right? That was the first thing we said. Welcomed into fellowship with Christ. We're invited to come sit at His table to be part of His family with one another. It reminds us of our covenant with the Lord that we belong to him he's bought us with a price and we have a relationship with him this is the price that was paid for us that we might be his children and we see that demonstrated in his broken body and the blood that was shed so that we might be cleansed and forgiven he's our God and we are his people and then the Lord's Supper reminds us of how much value Jesus placed on sinners such as we are he did not please himself on our behalf, but laid down his life in our place. The table speaks to us of all of these things. The gospel, it speaks to us of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. I pray today that you would understand the gospel better and that you would carry the gospel with you constantly. Think about the implications it has for every moment of your life. And may the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table that we come to today, further impress the gospel upon us as we physically taste and touch and have our senses uh, stimulated by the gospel, a greater reminder of what Christ has done for us. Let's pr pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to embrace the gospel and respond appropriately to it. Lord, we thank you for this good news of salvation. And we pray, Lord, that it would fuel our service for you. We are yours. We belong to you. And we pray that that bond between us, between ourselves and you, and all of us who are part of the body of Christ, that those bonds would be strengthened here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.